Welcome to Fraser's Ridge, an Outlander podcast. I'm Tiffany, and I'm here with my buds, Katie and Aaron. Hi, Katie. Hi, Tiff. Hey, Hey, Aaron. Hi. (laughs) I'm first. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to lead us through this episode, so let's dive in. This episode was written by Tony Graffia. I knew that in advance, so I already right off the bat was primed to expect this episode to be great. Mm-hmm. She's written other notable episodes such as Faith, La Dame Blanche, and The Devil's Mark. So she's really fantastic, and I kind of wish she wrote more episodes this season. I think she was one of the lead writers at one point, wasn't she? Or I, don't I think know. so. The director was Stephen Wolfenden. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with him, so I Googled him and then was like, why am I not familiar with him? <laughs> because he directed, he was a, a member of the directing team on Detective Pikachu and Harry Potter <laughs> and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and both at Deathly Hollows. So I was I'm, disappointed in myself. I may have seen those. <laughs> 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 well he did all, he did the first episode too i think didn't he of the oh, season oh okay i think that's possible feel free to at me if i'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> this episode to me i'll have to say right out the bat i love this episode um i felt like we were really back to outlander and in a season that's been kind of controversial in the receptions of each episode. But I'm glad that we got this episode. So hopefully I am not too biased in my representation here. Um, but definitely chime in if your opinions don't align with mine. You know so- we will. <laughs> <laughs> the title card opened up with a shot of a man playing a guitar. And he shot from about the shoulders down. So we don't see his neck or head. And I thought that was notable. And he turns to sketch some notes on sheet music. And we can see that he's writing a song called The Ballad of Roger Mack, which is also the title of the episode. Mm -hmm. So what did you see when this opened up? Did you assume this was Roger? Yeah, I did. It looked like the 60s to me, like aesthetically. Mm -hmm. So I read it as being him. And he does seem the type to write his own song about himself, (laughs) just saying. (laughs) I don't know. I still don't notice the title cards. I just, like, (laughs) my brain goes right over them. I'm like, here we go. Oh, actually, (laughs) before we even start on the title card, I thought it it was kind of nice that they had, like, a COVID-19 message before the episode. Did you guys notice that? I miss oh. that. Yeah, I it was at all. It was basically like stay in and flatten the curve or whatever. But oh, I don't know. Cool. I, I don't know if it's just like the same message, so people are getting tired of it. But I thought it was like, oh, that's good that Stars cares enough uh, to uh, to be encouraging more binge watching uh, about Lander. <laughs> Not at all self serving. <laughs> so we got a clear voiceover. She explains that they've gone to Hillsborough to prepare for the fight, but that no one can be prepared for facing family in a time of war. 
And then we switch to Roger singing Oh My Darling Clementine to Jemmy, which I never realized what a bummer of a song that is. Yes, like, it's super, super dark. Yeah. yeah. And at the end, Roger makes a promise to Jem that he'll be back to sing to him as Brie enters the room. They both kind of start discussing Brianna's choice of coming to stay with the Shurstons rather than staying at the Ridge. Roger kind of thinking that she would have been safer there, but Brie wants to spend every last moment with him that she can. Lizzie enters to take Jem away so that Brie and Roger can have a heart to heart. Roger reminds us of his father's death in World War II. He's worried that if he dies, Jem won't remember him. But Brianna assures him that this will not happen. And they share a cute loving kiss and then they share some jokes back and forth about knowing the words to Clementine and Brianna not being able to sing. Roger leaves and we hold on Brianna just wringing her hands with worry. And I know we often have problems with Brie and Roger's relationship, but what did you guys think about this scene and the way that their relationship was portrayed here? I liked it because I thought it was, you know, it's a they're bonding over war. Like here they've had such a hard time bonding just being themselves that now they have this like impetus of war kind of pushing them closer and they are being cutesy and, you know, showing showing love and showing affection. So, so I liked it. I liked it a lot. And then even them just talking about what they would be doing in the future, you know, like mm-hmm. it's kind of so surreal for them because prior to them going back in time, they probably never would have thought they'd be in this situation where Roger's going to war and she doesn't know what's going to happen. So I liked it. It resonated with me. I thought it was, you know, a cute scene. Um, they're almost like trauma bond- bonding even more as a couple. What did you think, Katie? Yeah, I it, I liked it. And I agree. It's it's nice to see them gelling and clicking. But there, I did have a moment <laughs> here where I think it's when he's at the door to leave, like, leave and he looks back one more time. And I did have this moment of like, Ugh, it's always about you, Roger. Here we are again. <laughs> making you feel better like it's totally warranted this time the man's going to war like i i I hate i don't begrudge any of it but there was this small voice in the back of my head that was like oh my god roger needed like a pick-me-up too like again (laughs) you're so right he always needs a little coddling yeah yeah and again in this situation 100% 100% warranted. I just, I, everything we've seen, I just, there's this little voice in the back of my head saying that. Yeah, agreed. So we move to the malicious camp and we see British flags flying in the wind, enter into one of the tents and are met with Jamie flexing his hand and kind of looking at it, evaluating it. And I was wondering, do you think this is the hand that Blackjack broke all the fingers on? Oh, that's the impression I got. Me too. Maybe. I forgot about that. I, I, you know, I even forgot about his stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we learn from Claire that it's Jamie's birthday and he's going to be 50 today. They talk about taking stock before every birthday and reflecting and making sure they haven't changed much. And Jamie wonders to Claire if she's seen many changes in him. And Claire says he's still him. And this moment really stood out to me because as we've discussed, we've noticed some out of character behavior from Jamie in the last couple of episodes. And it almost felt a little meta, like the writer knew we might feel this way and was 
assuring us of bringing Jamie back to Jamie. Did this resonate with you guys at all? I know something didn't resonate with Katie. (laughs) (laughs) I I was so taken aback. Like, you know, I've read the books and I'm pretty sure this scene is very close to the books, if not verbatim. But just seeing ripped Sam Hugan (laughs) in bed. Yeah, those pecs, man. Oh my God, those pecs distracting but like not in a way where I was interested but more in a way of like I was wondering what cup size you <laughs> I was like they look uncomfortable like they looked like boulders I mean he's he's a beautiful man and mm-hmm. he works out very hard and mm-hmm. there's another scene in here that shows off at the stream Sam yeah. Hugan so we'll we'll get there I'm sure but yeah I just when hearing the age like hearing the age just really jarred me and took me out and like them saying oh I'm 50 today and it was like to reconcile with your pecs <laughs> and, like, I just mm-hmm. I don't know I I liked the moment I liked that they were talking about how he's now lived beyond the age of his dad um it all it all worked it was just hearing that number for me even though I know the number it just like was so contrasting with the visual that I I struggled I loved it this was like one of my favorite scenes because kind of like last season or sorry last episode like the sex scene in that one I like how they portray them a little more real it's not just like this fancy typical you know, a scene from movies. Like, I love they put these, like, little things in where he talks about, like, like how he could still stay hard in the morning, which I thought that was, like, mm-hmm. kind of funny. Like, like they're kind of foreplay, pillow talk, you know, build up. And those are kind of the moments that I feel are very real to people in relationships, you know? You're not just mm-hmm. having sex all the time. You're laying in bed and you're talking and, you know, it's there's kind of a build up to it. So I love the flow between, like, their communication and their cuteness and then their sex and then just I don't know I just think they're adorable I love the scene for me it just like tickled this spot like inside of me that just like I don't know I loved it like ate it up um do I and he's also like very very handsome and sexy in this the scene like those pecs that body I mean he looks like a 20 year old I mean honestly it's (laughs) (laughs) no and not 20 in real life yeah he looks fantastic yeah what is he in real life? Like mid twenties, I think. He's almost right? forty. What? Yeah, he's gonna be forty next month, I think. Because no. I googled it. Because I was like fifty. Oh. Yeah, I, yeah. I did the same 20s. thing. <laughs> oh my god, I thought he was in his twenties. This is blowing he's my mind. Guys. This changes the entire show for me. What? I know. I can't even. I thought he was like twenty-eight. <laughs> yeah, it, he's. <laughs> he it's... looks it. It's oh it's God. tough, right? Because like he's supposed to be fifty now, and he's a young looking thirty nine. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. to like throw to throw that number of five zero out there, I was like, what? Well, <laughs> this, is, this is why I was waiting for you guys to laugh when I said he looked like he's twenty because I thought he was actually in his twenties. <laughs> so <laughs> that is not. <laughs> Well, I agree with you, Erin. I really like this scene, too. And I thought it was really sweet and intimate and realistic, like you said, also. And 
I thought it was also interesting here how we have Jamie talking about how he lived, he now has lived longer than his father. And then Roger, just a scene ago, was also talking about his father. And I was waiting for the third father reference, and maybe I missed it to see if there was a three beat happening. It was probably somehow related to Murtaugh. Yeah. Scene, but I didn't, oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't Godfather kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Next, we're with Governor Tryon and Jamie, and he's listing off all the different types of artillery that were sent from New York. And Jamie tells Tryon that it won't be a fair fight. The regulators don't have this kind of power. And this guy, Colonel Chadwick, jumped in and said that they should have thought of this before. And I was kind of like, step off, Colonel Chadwick. We don't even know you. Like, what are you doing jumping in here? She <laughs> doesn't go here. <laughs> is he a real historical figure do we know i think so i didn't google it but i think he is roger rides up and he's late and jamie tells him to fall in and it's kind of like a little awkward moment yeah, where, no kidding. like roger you couldn't have been on time come on man also a moment where like it could have created a me- like a memory for the redcoats just saying like our conversation uh-huh. earlier like Oh, this is that guy who came in late this morning. True. <laughs> like, this morning, <laughs> not even like, come on here. <laughs> so Jamie addresses his men and tells them to fasten their cockades to their coats in order to tell them apart from the regulators, making this point that because they're dressed similarly as the regulators would be dressed, that this pin is going to tell them apart. Who pops up but Isaiah Morton? Out of the yeah. background, like a little hero, to say, mm-hmm. I'll have one of those. <laughs> I thought he was kind of adorable. He was cute. I, I just don't think the, like, whatever, what are they called? You, you said the name of them. The, the fifth grade the, the science fair? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I feel like this is, like, like the red coats out for like accidentally killing a few of them or something <laughs> like i mean come on jamie gets the full red coat and they have to wear these like little flowery things like if they're just at the wrong angle they're gonna like get blown to pieces so that was a little bit of a unreal scene for me i don't know if it's true to history and that's what they did but like it seemed like super lame <laughs> it was like okay I think you're right, though, that they don't, I think the Redcoats don't care if they kill some of them, honestly. Like, they think their lives are expendable, too. And even when we see that tense moment a little bit later, when we're not sure whether or not Jamie's company is going to fall in with Tryon, you can see, like, Tryon is stressed out because he doesn't really trust these people. Right. Um, So the Browns are there too and they're pissed that Isaiah is there and ask about Allie. Claire jumps in to tell Mr. Brown that Alicia made her decision. Lionel is not having it and kind of in an aggressive way tells Claire to stay out of it. So Jamie steps up protectively, tells them to break it up and pulls Isaiah aside and decides that he's going to back Isaiah. He hits damn Browns too, just like me and loves Isaiah a little bit. There's a lot of kind of quick moving around in this episode. Like it was very fast paced and we like shoot right over to those two young boys that Roger enlisted who were shoveling manure a few episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. They were eating and talking about how they've been practicing their shooting. Yep. So Jamie comes, fills their cups 
And one boy brags about shooting eight possums. And Jamie's like, this is not the same thing. He tells right. them they can't waver. The boys seem to kind of absorb this. Like, they have to act when they're in the heat of battle. They can't, like, pause uh, and be unsure of themselves. This was giving me Klonodin PTSD, though. Because, like, it was reminding me of those boys that were executed still that I always, mm-hmm, like, keep bringing mm-hmm. up. as like, the outland of trauma that we all go through. Because I feel like they do use like the shock the death shock value pretty strongly in this show and so all i was thinking was because the title was the ballad of roger whatever he's the one that pulled him into it so i was like oh my god they're gonna die and it's gonna be like a whole thing around them and like the family he promised so my brain was going in that direction of like that's roger's kind of failure so my central focus was focused on like them getting killed and you know, as we know how the episode plays out, things don't go like that. But so, yeah, I was definitely like on the edge of my seat, a little like anxious, you know, with anything with them in it. So that's so interesting to hear that, because I have been wondering what like the non book reader was thinking during this whole episode, because we kind of knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. But I like to see this little like misdirection kind oh, of yeah. area uh, with this focus on these boys that's really I really no i think yeah what happens later so like honestly like uh-huh. i was totally this was a big twist for me honestly next uh we're outside the tent with jamie and Tryon, and we hear that scouts report that the regulators are across the creek and we're kind of moving quickly back to jamie walking through the camp to claire the important thing that we learn here is that reverend caldwell has come to offer terms on behalf of the regulators so immediately again we're moving very quickly we're with governor tryon and reverend caldwell tryon reads the terms that are given to him and just hates it he says pretty spitefully that he'll convey his response by noon tomorrow and reverend caldwell handles it pretty well and leaves gracefully (laughs) and tryon tells everyone to basically continue preparing to fight that he's not going to end this conflict peacefully. Jamie steps forward and tries to convince Tryon to move towards peace or delay a little bit, but Tryon is just arrogant and stubborn and won't consider it. What did you guys think of Jamie's role as voice of reason in these scenes with Tryon? We had a few of them where he's kind of trying to talk reason into Tryon, but Tryon just won't be moved. I think that this was classic Jamie for me, that he would try. But I also feel like we've had a lot of this this season where Jamie is trying <laughs> to like have Tryon be a little bit more understanding and it hasn't made a difference. So I just, um, it, it's like kind of a little bit of a broken record for me, but it's it's very to his character that he would be attempting to mitigate the the disaster that's about to befall all these people. I like to think of what would it have been like if Knox was there, like if he was alive. So like I, Jamie, I feel like is the only voice of reason, which bugs me. Like there's not one other person that even says anything remotely like, Hey, we should try some peace or whatever. Like let's think about nobody. But then my brain's like, well, what if Knox was there? Like, would they try to do it a little differently? I mean, I know he kind of like had a, for Murtog, so we probably knew how that would have, <laughs> would have went down but like <laughs> you would think if they went if they didn't kill him maybe 
the episode could have went or the show could have went in a way where like Jamie got to like Knox a bit. Like maybe Jamie, you know, calmed him down about the regulators and the Jacobites, everything. Like, so maybe he could have became the voice of reason with Jamie, but we'll never know because, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you're like assassinated that guy. <laughs> 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 we'll never forget it. Yes, not going to theories of what could have happened, but you know, that's again, that's where my brain goes. Like, I think that's a, I think you both note points that I was feeling too that I would like it if the pressure wasn't always just on Jamie with this. That if there was somebody else who also could step in and like express why maybe basically massacring these people is not a great idea, but right. it is again like very true to Jamie, right? So, it makes sense. So we're brought to Mr. Shirsten's house where Lizzie and Bree are sitting with Mrs. Shirsten. And we learned that these people that they're staying with are friends with Jocasta. So that's why Brianna is staying with them. Mr. Shirsten enters in fresh out of the pub <laughs> and says that there's talk there about the regulators being across from Alamance Creek. Bree asks where that is, and Mr. Shearston just has, like, a handy-dandy map ready, which I thought was kind of <laughs> odd. Yep. And he, he shows it to her, and it's starting to kind of ring a bell. She keeps saying something happened here. Everyone's kind of confused at her response, asking, like, have you been there before? But she says no and continues to say out loud, something definitely happened here, until her memory finally jogs into place. And I have to say that I was kind of feeling Brie at this moment on the way that her post baby brain works. <laughs> Cause sometimes <laughs> it t- takes a while for those like synapses to fire, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was annoyed at how she just kind of out loud was carelessly saying something that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. What did you guys think? I thought the scene was like really, really fun. I just kind of laughed because Again, like the, like the last episode, like Roger couldn't remember this, you know, the stuff that he <laughs> needed to. Now she can't remember it. And then I'm just like, okay, like, do any of these people, did, did any of them prepare before going back in time? Like, little, I mean, we know Claire did, but Brie and Roger, like, you think she would have been just like, okay, American history. Let me give it a quick thumb through. Like, I check all the main <laughs> things going on. Like, let me just get the, I mean, you think that these smart, intelligent people going back in time will prepare a little more so it's just <laughs> on the tip of their tongues or you know just it's just right there so i kind of laughed the the other thing i thought that was really funny is how well this girl can ride a horse she like whips <laughs> out of there i mean like suddenly you got like little like non-confident brie who can't even tell her secrets she's like out like a thunderbolt like flying like like full on like movie like count of monte cristo like going for it so I'm like dang like she's going so it was good it was a good scene <laughs> i kind of felt the way you did tiff where i was i was not in love with the fact that she was saying this out loud in front of these people and i think it was just kind of a means to an end for the writers because this mm-hmm. is really what you're thinking inside your head but we as the audience obviously need to hear you say it so it, it just uh was her trying to think of it, but I, I do like what you're saying, Aaron, where you wish she had been a little bit more prepared before she decided to step through time. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Bring some history books with you at least, right? Yep. Just, like, yeah. you know, one encyclopedia, American Revolution. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Done. Oh, I'm with you. She brought her in car 95 disc. You know, she's like on her way back. <laughs> <laughs> then we switch to the scene with, you know, Jamie in a creek putting water on his face. Claire is approaching him and stops to watch. And we can see the scars on Jamie's back, which I think we mentioned either last episode or the one before that we haven't seen them in a while. Jamie slits his hand and starts speaking in Gaelic and crosses himself with his own blood. Then he sees that Claire's there and she asks him if God has an answer. But Jamie lets her know that he wasn't talking to God. He was talking to Dougal Mackenzie. Claire like questions this like why Dougal things didn't end well there and Jamie says it's because he was a war chief he taught him everything he knew about battle that they've made peace at this point and Dougal will help him I personally really liked this scene it's from the book too (laughs) (laughs) beyond like the eye candy of Sam Hewen which like obviously was a big factor okay I'm not gonna (laughs) deny it but I like (laughs) I like having more uh, Gaelic and and like Scottish customs in the episodes I thought this was like a cool inclusion and also a, a good call back to remembering who Dougal was Right. A good little setup, I think. Yeah. Yep. What'd you guys think? I love this scene, obviously. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, I just want to know what it would have been like on the set and like everyone laughing like crazy, probably because he's sitting there like doing all these like blue steel, like standing moves and like flexing. And, you know, I'm like, this guy trying to get on like the top, like Instagram, like whatever. Like, <laughs> it was so good. Um, you know, it definitely was a little bit of a thirst trap kind of scene, you know, yes. <laughs> like, okay. Mm-hmm. Totally. Exact words I was going to use. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then also the Dougal thing was cool. Like, I, I thought that was me. You know, he, regardless of all the drama with Dougal, he still was like, okay, Dougal was a fierce fighter. Like, I'm going to channel this guy. And... It was cool. Like, it was neat. And I, it's something that I kind of do sometimes when I think of, like, the people in my life who passed away. And, like, I'll talk to, like, specific ones that kind of help me out with, like, things in life. Like, you know, like my poppy Mike, he painted um, ho- carousel horses. So sometimes when I'm doing art, I'll, like, think about my poppy Mike and, like, almost pray to him a little bit. So I kind of liked it because not only was it, like, their tradition, it, like, resonated with something that, like, even I do with myself and, like, you know, the people I miss and love. (laughs) Yeah, um, I liked it as well. Yeah, I agree. It felt like this, this, like, break in the story for just, like, a Jamie thirst trap. (laughs) I just... (laughs) Um, kudos to Sam Hugan and, um, but uh, yeah, I, I always liked Dougal on the show, um, mostly because I love Graham McTavish so much. So even oh, if well, I like, you wrote, lucky. <laughs> I, no, I, yeah, I, I always liked him. Um, and the, probably more so on the show than in the books. And that had a lot to do mm-hmm. with the actor. And honestly, if they had, like, shown him in some way, I wouldn't have been upset about it. It just would have made it better. <laughs> right. I just thought it was also funny because, like I said before, Bree was riding the horse so insanely to, like, get them this information. 
So the audience is like geared up for her to ride into like chaos of the, the war going on. But the next scene goes to him like slow motion shirt. <laughs> so, it was like such a weird like misdirect. Like, <laughs> like no, nope, instead we got. It was really interesting pacing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, hey, better get there, better get there. Don't, 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 like fashion show suddenly. Like, oh, God. <laughs> So, Brie, because she is riding that horse like a bat out of hell, arrives at camp. She comes to warn Jamie, Claire, and and Roger that the militia are going to win the battle, which, I mean, couldn't we have guessed? (laughs) Like, is this really new information? (laughs) And that some people consider this to be the spark of the revolution. So, Jamie really feels he needs to get this info to Murtaugh because maybe it will change Murtaugh's mind and persuade him to like call this home thing off if he knows that they're doomed to fail. They have talk again about the butterfly effect. Claire, having been through this previously, agrees with Jamie that the spark would still happen elsewhere. Like you're not stopping the American Revolution from happening. You can't change history. So Roger volunteers to go warn Murtaugh because he's from the future. Murtaugh knows him. He's the only one that can do it. And Jamie's hesitant because it's pretty dangerous. And this is Roger we're talking about here. (laughs) But he tells him, keep the cockade in his pocket and gives him a white kerchief to wave and cry truce if he's threatened. So what were you guys thinking at this point? Were you worried for Roger or were you thinking it was going to turn out okay? Specifically, Aaron. I, well, first of all, I laugh at the beginning of it because when... Brie rides into town, you know, Jamie and Claire like come out of nowhere and they're just like they run to her and you're like, okay. And then Roger comes <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, Roger should probably come too. It's his wife. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> so it was just this like kind of build up. I thought the beginning was kind of funny. This scene particularly bugged me because well, the butterfly effect, time paradox, I felt like the responsible thing to do would be not messing with literally the spark of the American Revolution War. Like, a huge, huge piece of our history they are messing with. This isn't, like, you know, penicillin. This isn't, like... This is, like, if this timeline changes, that's going to butterfly effect if you guys even come back in time. This could change everything from the present going on. It could change the whole world, the whole dynamic. So many... So this is the one thing in the whole story that... I feel like had the biggest butterfly effect ripple. And I think the responsible thing would have been trying to actually work in how to not affect it. Maybe win-win. Like, can we stop the war? uh, Or can we, sorry, can we stop people dying? But can we still affect the spark? Like, this is a time travel show. Uh, Like, I feel like they should have came up with some type of solution that could have worked in their favor. um, And instead, they really didn't. Like, they just let time happen. Go ahead, Katie. I feel like you're pining to rip this apart. (laughs) I I just, again, I struggle with their concept of time travel on this show because I think we've proven time and time again that it is not a universe in which there is a butterfly effect because they cannot change the past. And if she is able to create penicillin before 
penicillin is officially discovered, it's because she's always going to go discover mm-hmm. penicillin. She was yes. always going to go to the past. Everything is going to happen as time has seen fit. And yeah. I don't understand why we continue to have discussions about being able to change something. Sorry, I feel very strongly about this, clearly. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I get wanting to tell Murtaugh to save Murtaugh. And, and maybe if they share this information with certain people, they defect or whatever it is. But, like, they are not stopping this battle. This battle is going to happen. Mm-mm. Like, look at, look mm-hmm. at you know, Culloden and all of that. I, I just don't understand why, why we think there's still a possibility at this point. And it just feels like unnecessary dialogue or an unnecessary motivation right i agree that it seemed futile and like you're just putting roger in unnecessary danger because you're not going to change murtaugh's mind he's not going to abandon these people and he's not going to stop the battle so why bother why why put roger in this situation well i guess we know why (laughs) Uh, by the end of the episode we see Roger kind of moving into the regulator's camp and he sees Murtaugh psyching his men up, which was kind of jarring for me to see Murtaugh again in this kind of role, like leadership role. Cause yes, at least I felt right. Yeah. I felt like, so yeah. this didn't feel like really like Murtaugh to me. He's always kind of the guy in the background in the shadows, like a badass, mm-hmm. an awesome character, but like more of a support, a support guy, not a leader guy. Yeah, he's like the chief of staff to like the actual yeah. political figure. <laughs> he's like nope. he's not the guy who wants the attention, but he's the one who is is giving like the solid advice and like making suggestions and usually very sound and successful like, mm-hmm. you know, ideas coming from this person and this was just a this felt out of character for me. I felt the same. Roger and Murtaugh go off to talk. Roger does a pretty darn good job trying to convince him, I think. We end up seeing Murtaugh still feeling pretty pretty set in his ways. And transition to Murtaugh reading Tryon's response to the regulator's letter that uh, the Reverend delivered. Both kind of flashing back and forth between Tryon reading it and Murtaugh reading it. And it's obviously unsatisfactory to the regulators because they basically just want them all to turn themselves in. We see Murtaugh in the tent with Roger, and he tells Roger that he tried to convince his people not to fight, but they won't listen. They're going to fight anyway. So Roger begs Murtaugh to flee himself for the love that Jamie bears him, which I thought was a sweet line. I guess I was thinking about and I didn't get a chance to look it up, but I was wondering if this letter is like is real or if this is like just show response. Like, are the are there actual primary documents somewhere of like this I, back and forth? I don't know for sure, but I do know that Diana uh, used <laughs> Tryon's papers, like his actual uh, mm-hmm. record of these events, as like the basis for for this whole conflict. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this actual letter exists. Mm -hmm. If if it wasn't, I thought they did a great job making it sound of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, like just the, how the formal language and stuff. I thought it was really good. 
Me too. Next, Roger's heading back to camp and he sees Morag, the woman that he helped save in Bonnet's ship. And they kind of catch up talking about their kids. Roger tries to warn her about the conflict and how it's going to end. She's not going to flee. There's no home for her and her family to go back to. Eventually, he hugs her to say goodbye. And Buck sees him and you hear him say, get away from my wife. So a couple things that I have to say before <laughs> you guys jump in. Oh my God, so, there's a hundred things, so you're good. This, <laughs> so this is a little slight change from the books that I actually really appreciated. Because yeah. in the books, Roger yeah. actually kisses Morag Aaron, if you can the believe f- it. Like what? legit kisses what? her. Yeah. What? Yeah. Always okay. annoyed the crap out of me. So instead he hugs her and it kind of definitely changed the tone for me to seem more innocent and that like you remember that Roger doesn't have any family like he lived with Reverend Wakefield since he was a small child. So you get the feeling that he's just like really excited to be able to talk to a relative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was my first point. And then the second point was I totally did not recognize Buck's voice and had no idea that this was Graham McTavish until after. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> and I yes. just said I wanted to <laughs> I see said him, that earlier, so Katie, and I was like, go. oh, crap, did Katie not watch the after wait, the episode? Wait, no, I it? didn't. I didn't watch the after. It's Dougal. Week. It's Dougal. The guy who what? was like, I wish he was in this episode. I had no... <laughs> Tim, I had okay. absolutely no idea. I feel so dumb. <laughs> I realized that after you like didn't respond to what when I was like, oh well, how lucky for you, you that Graham Davish yeah. is. <laughs> but and my husband will like Chris will be so will think that's so hilarious. Well, yeah, I didn't recognize him either. I had no idea until I watched the after the episode, honestly. So mm-hmm. I'm just I'm with you guys. I was in the same place. Yeah. I definitely need to rewatch this one. <laughs> uh, so I thought the scene was a little a little ridiculous for so many reasons. Like just the fact that they even got on him. Like, I don't know. It was just like totally too much for me and unbelievable. I feel like why did Roger not name drop Murtog? Like, go get Murtog. Like, you know, mm-hmm. go clear this up. Even Jamie, like drop Jamie's name. Like, I feel like... It could have been done a little bit better. Even her. Come on, girl. <laughs> like, literally be like, stop. He saved my life. Like, I know she said that, but there was just this serious, like, stupid misconnect or miscommunication. Um, it really pissed me off the scene. Like, I just feel like it wasn't. I just think it wouldn't happen that way. The fact that he in the book, like, you said, just blows my mind. <laughs> Makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm realizing they're family, so maybe it wasn't like a romantic kiss. Maybe it was like a family kiss, so that changed my mind a little bit. But eh, questionable. <laughs> like oh. Roger loves to kiss a rant, a freaking another woman. Yeah. Like he kissed. Oh gosh, now I can't remember her name. But who was his like woman helper? Who what? Fiona. Oh, he kisses Fiona yeah. like on the lips before he leaves to go through the stones and then he's kissing Morag and it's like dude you're married to Brianna stop kissing other people but, but anyway he didn't do that point. but that's like his thing is like like them too like only one person like that was his whole like uh-huh. feel. like when they were like in bed and she yep. wanted to sleep with him and he's like no like we need to get married blah 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 like 
dude, you can't be like kissing all these girls and have those same values. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, sorry, just I don't know. The whole scene bugged me. Um, and then them taking him prisoner and and hitting him in the face. It just was stupid. Like, I don't know. I think all of the emotion you're feeling, Aaron, resonates for me when I read it in the book originally. Mm-hmm. It's like, Roger, why are you like stopping to have this chat? Like there's a war, yeah. like there's a big battle coming. Like maybe it's not the right time and maybe you shouldn't kiss your great 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 grandmother uh-huh. and whatever she is. And, right. like, right. and in this case, like maybe you shouldn't dug her hug your like great 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 grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> like, um and and even and I agree in the books when he gets into the skirmish with Buck, it's it's also like this this seems like something we should be able to resolve and get out of, and it's almost this false conflict of miscommunication that Diana Gabaldon uses a lot in her books, and I always yeah. struggle with that yeah. a lot. Uh-huh. But I'm, I definitely need to go rewatch because I am really excited <laughs> that I'm just in this. And uh, I feel like it's going to make me enjoy these scenes a lot more now. It was like, yeah, you're talking about the miscommunication. I totally just watched Frozen 2. And like, <gasps> me too. It's so good. And like, so good. it's like perfect example of that miscommunication when he's like trying to propose to her, to Anna, like the entire time. And like, just this, like, ah, come on! <laughs> real, life, real life doesn't work this way. Um. I have, I, my favorite part was his, like, 80s power ballad. Oh, me too. Uh, I love that part. It was so good. Um, but, but about the scene also that made me laugh is when Roger is, like, the, when he sees her at first, there's a war about to start. And he's just, like, almost, like, cafeteria chatting her. Like, he's literally just, like, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, hey! Oh, my gosh! It's you! I gotta tell you all this crazy stuff! Like, I mean, literally, it's, like, dude, you gotta get back to the camp! Yeah, mm-hmm. he totally mm-hmm. is, like, oh, and by the way, I'm not on your side. <laughs> yeah. Like, Blowing up like, his own spot. Like, don't you yeah. dare do... Like, what is wrong with you? Like, oh, my God. I thought he was gonna drop that ribbon, too. But he... Remember he bumped into her or picked something up? Do you notice that? Like he picked something off the ground somewhere. Well, he did drop it when Buck was really like kind of fighting with him. So to jump ahead a little bit, you know, Buck is really rough with Morag. He's like about to hit her. Roger catches his arm and punches Buck in the face. And then his Buck's guys, like his gang, grab Roger. And in this skirmish, the cockade falls out on the ground Buck picks it up and is like, oh, you're a traitor too, you know? So, like, I didn't, again, like, I didn't know the story was going to go in this direction with him at the end, but I actually had a moment where when he originally helped her pick something up, there was something that he got off the ground. I thought he was going to have lost that in that moment, and she had it, like, and then it wasn't revealed, and he was going to go back to their camps, not have his... And everybody like, where is it? Like, and then start the war without it. And then she'll find it later. I had this whole other subplot running in my head, but like, no, call me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at camp with Jamie and he is worried he hasn't seen Roger. And Governor Tryon calls Jamie over and wants him to wear a red coat. Dun, and dun, Jamie dun. pushes back 
I know. He He's like, I don't ass, wear clothes, like... bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why, like, thirst trap aside, I thought it was important. We saw his scars in this episode a little bit yes. earlier yeah. to oh, remind yeah. us, like, this is really hard for Jamie. And you can see Sam really communicated that disgust on his face, I thought. It's like when you try to put clothes on a cat. Like, that was like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, you guys don't t- dress your cat up. No, just kidding. But, like, you know what I mean? Uh, like, <laughs> no, but just that, like, are you shitting me right now? Like, just that look of, like, disgust. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> like, it, like, like Adzo in a red coat, just like. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cat noise. Claire sees Jamie in the red coat, and again, like we can just see on her face that she understands how much this has to hurt Jamie. Jamie tells her there's no sign of Roger, but Claire can't let Jamie go to battle without saying something to him. She's like looking at him, kind of nervous and. And afraid for him and says, I suppose good luck will do. And then that she tells him she loves him and gives him like a nice kiss. And Jamie says, good luck will do, but I love you just so much better. Which I thought was really sweet. And then another kind of sweet thing Jamie said is that he doesn't know if that fire, the announcement of the fire in the paper that Brianna found was true or not. Yep. But there will be some time that they're going to part. But it won't be today. And I just thought this was like classic Jamie Claire. I was so in it. Yeah, but like now he's like, let's trust in time. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> True. <laughs> I find this really interesting in, in parallel with this goodbye you get between Roger and Bree at the beginning as well. Mm-hmm. And just this is like, unfortunately, old hat for Jamie and Claire at this point. And they have this very like confident, I love you. And this is what I have to say to you in case I never see you again, as compared with at the beginning where it's a lot of Brianna being like, it's going to be okay. And you have mm-hmm. to come back to sing this song. And so this goodbye a little yeah i just this was this was very good but good jamie it was claire. also it's good jamie claire but it, for me it was another unrealistic moment i'm like <laughs> okay <laughs> you're leading the militia you guys so go ahead i'm gonna say bye to my wife for like 10 minutes you, you just get ready for the war i'm gonna go kiss her a couple times and like say goodbye come on this is like not how it goes. I know she was there to like help out as a doctor or whatever, but like I don't know. They should have done that earlier or something. Like I just feel like it timed weird. Like the entire militia kept walking forward and then he walked to see her. It was just too like I don't know, immature like kind of scene. I don't know. I feel like his responsibility should have been the militia or whatever. Like I don't know. Mhm. <laughs> well, so the next scene Jamie's with the the men at the lines and it's kind of giving them directions like let's just put like the fear of God in them they'll retreat take prisoners kill as few people as possible and this is very counter to what Tryon wants to do so he tells the first line to fire after shooting some cannons off and Jamie's company hesitates and Tryon like 
screams his head off, telling them to fire or to fire on him. So this is where you can see he's really like kind of on edge about their loyalty to him and his control over them. But Jamie tells them to fire. So the regulators fall back into the woods and the militia moves forward. And the regulators are playing guerrilla style warfare. Jamie sees this and recognizes this and breaks up the line and takes Myers with him. So we see the battle kind of ensue. Isaiah Morton gets shot and he's dragged to Claire's tent. Claire is going to save him. She's a badass doctor. She's very confident in this scene. And while he's worrying about dying and telling his wife that he loves her and that their baby's due next month, Claire is just like, you're going to be fine. You're not dying today. Next, the Browns are brought into the tent and Claire is gearing up to give Lionel a course of penicillin. And they see Isaiah sitting there and say, don't, I hope you didn't waste any good medicine on him. Claire picks up on the tension and realizes that Isaiah had some burn marks in his back indicating he'd been shot in the back at close range and accuses Lionel of being the one shooting him. Mm. And he's outraged at the accusation and spitefully forces her to drop the needle and crushes it with his foot. Is that her only needle? That's what I yeah. like, I feel like her, it is. Oh, my God. Wait, that doesn't make sense then, because I feel like that's such a crazy thing to bring. If there's no needles in this time for her to bring that back is a little nuts. And then for her to bring one also a little nuts for (laughs) (laughs) i mean come on she's like planning like the long haul here like come on and then now that you bring up this point that they're not it's something they don't have then oh sorry that just bugs me the scene was good though i feel like she was sometimes claire gets a little too claire where like i'm surprised (laughs) i'm surprised that the browns didn't actually like shoot her in the face or something or like do something even more but they they just broke that and then stormed out so Mm -hmm. again i feel like he's the type he literally wants to kill this guy for loving his daughter you think he gives a shit about claire like come on like how come she the needle to her face so the whole the whole the browns i hate the browns like the browns can me too honestly i'm over them um, I they should have one of them should have taken a bullet. I mean, honestly, I, I hope we find out that later. But so yeah, I can't believe she had one syringe. What's she gonna do now? How's she? Is she gonna do oral penicillin? Is she gonna make like muffins and have to like soak them in like <laughs> penicillin and like pass them out here? Like, oh man. <laughs> well, and he's very perceptive of you to be concerned about this, and mm-hmm. I won't say anymore. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought the music was really spot on in this episode, by the way. And did you guys notice the bagpipes playing as the Redcoats are shooting regulators in the back as they try to retreat and tying them to rope hanging from horses and dragging them through the ground? I thought that was, they really show no mercy, uh, the Redcoats. And I thought it was really smart to have the bagpipes at this, at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie's moving through the woods and someone's shooting at him and it's Withers, who I don't remember. (laughs) And Jamie says he doesn't want to hurt him, but Withers calls him his enemy and pulls out his gun to shoot Jamie. But Murtaugh saves Jamie by like hitting his own man in the face. Withers falls down, hits a tree. He's, I think he's dead. Like looks like he broke his back or something. (laughs) 
So Whip Damien away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of isn't that uh, the guy's name in The Simpsons? Is it Withers? Oh, Smithers. Yeah. Smithers. Yeah, Smithers. Smithers. <laughs> That's it. So <laughs> Jamie and Murtaugh are face to face. They move towards each other to embrace, but Murtaugh stops suddenly because he's shot, and he's shot by one of the young boys that Jamie had spoke to earlier, who calls out proudly, I did what you said, Colonel, I didn't waver. Did this remind you guys of anything? Yeah, this, this kid this kid is the new Ollie. <laughs> oh. He totally Ollied him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. With, <laughs> like, also... It did not, I guess it didn't originate with Game of Thrones because I also remember this something similar happening in Pocahontas, speaking of Disney movies. Like, didn't that <laughs> Thomas kid kill Cocoaum? And it was like, oh, I did it, John Smith. I oh, shot Cocoaum. <laughs> and John Smith's like, oh, wow. no. I can't remember. <laughs> that was a good movie. This like, whole thing was, was like really touching with Murtaugh's dying. What did you guys think? I wanted more for Murtaugh's death. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the death he gets in the books <laughs> resonates with me more than what they did here. Mm-hmm. He did. Did you like that they included that line he said where he's like, don't worry, it doesn't hurt a bit to die? That's the same line he said when he dies at Culloden. I, oh. I honestly I didn't. Didn't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a little. I thought it was a little too TV. His death, like it was so like, you know, where they just lay back and like, (gasps) and they say their last word, and then their eyes close. But then you're like, okay, they're gonna open back up. Is to say something else, and then close them again, (laughs) and then close them again. (laughs) Like I'm like, are we really doing this right now? Like, come on here. Like the vampire and the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jamie is not ready for Murtaugh to die so he rushes him back to Claire thinking Claire will know what to do to save him and like urges her you know heal him what do you need he goes and grabs supplies and Claire looks for a pulse and just shakes her head eyes worried up face like contorted in worry and says, I'm sorry, he's gone. Jamie's just in denial and yells at Murtaugh that he doesn't release him from his oath. He can't leave him. And I really, I did really think Sam's acting was great in these scenes yeah. with Murtaugh. Like, I really, was I was kind of welling up. So Yeah, it was, it was really good. At first I was like, is it too much? And then I realized, like, it's just perfect. Because, like, I, mm-hmm. I thought... For a second, it was maybe out of character because he, you'd think he'd still remember, like, oh, I'm at war. I need to keep this, like, they can't know that it's my uncle. Like, I have to, you know, um, I don't know. But then I realized, oh, my God, he's so stuck in emotion. Like, it just, he's so distraught about this. This is, like, maybe the one person, aside from Claire or Bree, that if they died, like, it's just going to make him trip balls and not give a crap about what goes on. Um, I, It was good. It was visceral. I think the scenes, mm-hmm. the the ones that threw me off were the scenes with Brie. Like, you notice how like the camera kept going to Brie, and yeah. she didn't do it. She didn't do anything though. Like, I kept thinking like it was it was showing <laughs> Jamie like in hysteria, and then it shows Brie, and you're like, oh sh- oh, she's gonna go give him a hug. Mm-hmm. She's be like, Dad, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. Dad. She does nothing. <laughs> she literally, but maybe he draws it just the curtain. Me. 
Yeah, drunk her and be like, yeah, true, but maybe she's... It's like, no, but it's like, really? Yeah. I'm totally with you. Like, that's what you choose to do is, like, draw the curtain. You don't, like, pat your dad on the on the arm. Uh, or, or maybe throw some more future stuff. Like, here's another good point to throw something futuristic in. You know, she, or I don't know what, but maybe there's something she could have said or something, a blend between science and comfort that she could have said to her father i think is a missed opportunity like i think there could have been a real sweet moment between the two of them where she like mm-hmm. reminds him like hey murtaugh's dead but listen you have me now like this you know your daughter's here or something <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> forget about you know, him forget about <laughs> him he was a he was a regulator scum <laughs> i i think this speaks to the fact that he He's just so pained to be losing this person in a conflict that he doesn't—I don't want to say doesn't care about, but but isn't isn't in line with the opinions of the side he's fighting on. So, and it, so like for him to step away from the battle like isn't a big deal because he doesn't want to be fighting it, and um, to lose this this person that's so close to him in this way is just. Just adds insult to injury, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you so, guys think about Jocasta in the scene? Like, I kind of was like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, she made the right choice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, kind of like, oh. Absolutely. Um, I, I think the woman's probably then, very rarely wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And then I kept, like, kind of thinking, I kept thinking about how someone made a comment in there about how, like, or maybe it was Jamie to him, like, or Roger was like, you know, Murtaugh, you just have to get, you just have to make it two years. This will all be over. And you're right. Like he knows how it goes. Like he could just hide out for two years and could have been with Jocasta. And it kind of actually paralleled to like COVID-19 for me. I'm like, he he doesn't want to deal with just (laughs) staying put for a little bit of time to survive. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, come Mm -hmm. on, dude, do it up. You made the choice to, you know, die really. I mean, come on. Like he could have just, hit out no one would have known anyways so jamie stumbles out of the tent and we see claire has a moment to kind of cry over murtaugh touching his face and calling him her friend try and approaches jamie and he's super pleased with himself and tells him that they've won and they should celebrate but jamie's done pretending he's super angry and gives Tryon a serious talking to and Tryon says that since jamie has done his duty he's going to overlook his insolence and Jamie replies back that he's paid his debt and he's finished his obligation to him and to the crown. And he rips off his red coat and drops it on the ground, which I thought was a very good Jamie Frazier power move. Yeah. I just feel like, do like bad guys have like a key phrases, like handbook? <laughs> I just feel like every bad guy uses the word influence. Yeah. <laughs> <Just like laughs> <laughs> they're always calling someone insolent <laughs> it's a good word it is a good one I just thought it was cool like him like pretty much like I don't know bitch slapping him he like verbally bitch slapped mm-hmm. him it was just like drop the mic like 8 mile like do your walk like it was good like <laughs> honestly like you were like finally he could do this but he can do it with like merit like he could do it like the war he did his time like now he can do it Tryon can't say shit like he officially like Jamie walked the walk 
talk the talk like he did it so it was a cool scene you know i love when like i like the villain the bad the traditional bad guy like scours away kind of like oh he was right like yeah (laughs) (laughs) next we see jamie bending down by the fire fighting back tears and his hands are red with blood and then we shoot over to claire who also has blood on her hands taking off Murtaugh's pin and folding the blanket over his face. And I thought that these little moments are what really made the episode great for me. This was an action-packed episode, and we still found time to spend a minute with the characters and really feel with them. I think it was Um, a longer episode. It was, like, slightly extended. mm -hmm. I think it was a good hour long. So, And and it was the right choice. Jamie sees Bree looking out over the woods waiting for Roger. He approaches and asks her, Roger, and you can tell that Jamie has just freaking had it with this day. Like, he is over this day. He's like, one more freaking (laughs) thing I have to deal with. Yeah. So he gathers his people, and they go out to look for Roger. And as they're walking through the woods, this scene, I really, I liked this, and it actually kind of reminded me of video games where, like, you're focusing on Jamie, but you can hear Claire in the background have you seen Roger or Captain McKenzie? And then Bree saying, have you seen Roger? Are you sure? And they're just like kind of their voices are slightly distant and you can see them in the back. And it just made it feel like big yeah. and worldly and like, you know, right. like a real world and less <laughs> like a set, I think. So they approach a tree and they see there's men hanging with sacks over their faces. And Jamie asks Colonel Chadwick, who's back again, what happened here? And he says that Tryon ordered them executed. So yeah, Jamie uh, asks Chadwick if he's seen Roger. He says, I have not. Jamie walks towards the hangman and sees the white kerchief hanging from one of the men's pockets and asks Roger. So Bree runs over and she's breathing really heavy and Claire is trying to comfort her. Jamie crosses himself and they move to bring him down. And we end with the music swelling and focusing on Bree's just horrified face yeah so um, tell me what you guys were thinking well i'd like to start <laughs> just say the audience needs to know that i watched this last night and finished it at like 1 30 in the morning and group texted these two like a bat out of hell like oh my <laughs> god how could he be dead holy crap oh my god did this go i mean literally like losing it losing it losing it and losing we were it. sleeping i didn't even care I that poor iron to like I was like, you know, I need to know. I even texted my mom. Like, I literally like, hey, are you up? She wasn't up. So I ended up Googling and (laughs) not going to say anything. Anyhow, um, I can't even believe they went there. I was just like, this, it was totally unexpected. I really thought that they were just going to, like, find him somewhere. I was saying to you guys today when we were texting, like, I can't see why they would have hung the prisoners of the regulators let alone one that was like unconscious so it kind of really kind of really annoyed me because it seemed like they were rounding up the regulators and they weren't assassinating them i don't know maybe they'll be executing them next episode but i felt like if they're not gonna like execute the prisoners of the actual fight why would they just straight up hang their prisoners who could be in opposition to regulators who could essentially be on the red coat side. So I'm like, this was just kind of an irrational piece that just didn't make sense to me. Um, so I don't know. 
do I, I like it because the shock value? Yes. I didn't plan that this was the ballad of Roger Mack. I didn't think it was going to go this way. Um, so I don't know. It kind of, I thought it was going to maybe be one of the young boys um, that I was worried about earlier. And that actually, to be honest with you, I didn't really care about, I didn't think I could actually not not <laughs> care about them until he, you know, shot McDougal. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I kind of didn't expect it to be Roger. Even when, they were showing the bodies hanging and I felt like everybody got it. I didn't notice the white thing hanging out of his pocket. And I'm literally like, oh, it's not him. It can't be him. What are they looking at? Like, oh, and then I noticed it. I'm like, oh, the white handkerchief, it is him. Oh my God. I was like freaking out. And then I thought they were going to like take him down and mm-hmm. it was going to be like someone else, like, like the, the girl or Moira or someone who had the handkerchief by accident or I don't know. So cliffhanger scene, like, here we go again. I hate cliffhanger scenes, especially in the time when we can just marathon TV shows and we can't with this episode. So <laughs> so what do you think, Katie, uh, Tiffany? Like, Yeah, um, this visual was so jarring. Seeing these men in this tree, it was just so awful. Um, and to see Roger up there is really I don't know it's just it's just horrendous and I thought um I thought we got a good Brie reaction um like I found her just like horrified look to be god just like just such an awful awful thing to be hanged I don't I don't know I I can't even imagine so um this is just jarring and I thought this was a this is an interesting little edit by Outlander to uh, uh-huh. to uh, end it right there. I thought it was an interesting choice too. I really didn't expect them to leave it unresolved like that. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, because it's not like they're afraid of a cliffhanger. Uh, but I really, really didn't expect because he's like a major character, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I was surprised when all of a sudden it it just was over. Mm-hmm. Right. I liked right. it. I liked mm-hmm. I liked the uh, the where it ended. I just, I'm not a big fan of hanging. So, like, it, the episode actually loses points for me because I, I don't like hanging as execution. It, like, bugs me. Like, I just, it's the one thing. I'd rather someone's head get chopped off, blow their head out with a gun. Hanging, like, truly, like, hits me in a weird spot that, like, just makes me, like, really sick. So, like, I'm glad they didn't show it. Like, I'm glad they didn't, they didn't show him, like, putting them up there and, like, slowly executing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was... But then again, there's a different nauseating feel you get when you see that they're already hung. Like, you know, like the Handmaid's Tale, like, they do this a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just not a big fan of that type of execution. I mean, it's horrible. It's, like, so... It's 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 almost like um torture a little bit, you know? It's, like, torture thrown mm-hmm. in with execution. So it bugs me. The Brits me, love so. torture. Every every time it's mentioned or it's like the method of of death, I always think of that short story for the Civil War, that occurrence at Owl Creek. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that one? <laughs> I think I can't help. I like that. I always oh think gosh. of that. Yeah. What was that story? Oh my god. I gotta. I'm writing that down later. I remember that. Yeah. 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 It's just rough. This is just like a rough story point. But and I think I think you're right, Aaron. Like I don't, I don't feel like the episode went into it very much like why he mm-hmm. like he ends up there. And if I and I don't remember the specifics in the book, but I think there was a little bit more to this. Mhm. Yeah, maybe we'll find out next episode or something. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll find out. We'll see. 
Do you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah. How'd you sure? How'd you feel overall about the episode? And what are we gonna rate it here too? Dun dun. I don't know. Um, it's it's probably the highest rated for me. So like, I'll say eight point five, which is probably still low. But <laughs> <laughs> I just want I, I just want there to be room in, in case something like really good happens in the coming mm-hmm. episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where Diana, Ga- Diana Gabaldon does her best work for me, um, is when there's a really strong plot that she can set these characters against. So now that we're talking about the Revolutionary War and and there's like this strong external conflict that they can work mm-hmm. together to, you know try to survive and 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 push against like that's that's where outlander really succeeds so i'm I'm happy that we are back in that kind of um, a storyline yeah i'm gonna give it an 8.9 and my mind kept changing that <laughs> i feel <laughs> like we're on prices right and you just yeah. like want dollar dollar <laughs> i'm gonna bet a dollar <laughs> I'm gonna put a dollar, kind of going up here. We'll see what uh, the popular Rotten Tomatoes score is. Hundred and one, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just my point kept going up because I liked this episode for just flat out the eye candy of you know Jamie that we had the whole episode. Like, okay, like you know, it's kind of like counteracting hanging and that like executions, you know, like stuff and the death. There's a lot of death in this one. So it was like nice to have that balance of um, <laughs> the, the sex appeal, the thirst trapness. And then I found the episode to be kind of like, in like kind of funny with Jamie's character in the sense of like, here we have someone who starts the episode like in bed talking about his boner to like dealing with like all these like really intense adult <laughs> issues going on. I mean, literally, like, has to, like, lead his militia, has to, like, see his uncle get killed, like, has to see Roger get hung, like, has to comfort his daughter. It was, like, the full crescendo up of an episode for him and his character. So you can't help but kind of laugh a, get, laugh a bit. The paradox stuff with time, we all know how I feel about that. That kind of annoyed me a little bit. But it was also cool at the same time, because you guys know I like that this is a time travel show, like... It was for me. It wasn't anything beyond the the fun part for me was when Brie found out, like when she remembered, when she's like, "Oh my god!" Like like how the stuff they put in the teaser trailer for la- last week, where she remembers that and it like you know kind of has to go give that news. Like that was kind of like the kind of fun part for me, like bringing the future in. But how they handled it, no, not so much. The actual fight scene, I think the fight scene was different than I expected, but for the better, I actually thought that it was a little all over the place, but then I'm like, okay, I feel like it's showing how it would actually feel if you were in it, like that kind of chaoticness of it. Um, it actually reminded me of um, this Are You For The Dark episode I watched like as a kid, where somehow there was a scene where they went back to you know the American Revolutionary War or whatever with the Redcoats, and it had this scene like in the woods, like running through the trees, like film vibe to it so it kind of hit this weird nostalgia for me um but it was very busy it was very like you know guy gets shot brings him to claire all over the place it just jumped all over so i don't know giving it the 8.9 you know it wasn't my favorite episode 
but it wasn't one I hated on. And it's also the first episode where we truly have some serious action, some war. Like, there's a definite shift. Like, Kalanadin mm-hmm. was a shift to that whole season. The whole story all switched after this war. Now we have another war. So I, as the audience member, get a little anxious because I'm like, is this going to be a complete shift to the show and what we've seen on Fraser's Ridge so far? So, yeah, those are my closing thoughts. Maybe more eye candy next week, we can hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a 10 for me. (laughs) I loved it. I was, like, so in it. I thought that... Jamie and Claire felt right. Like their chemistry was back. I thought they both seemed very true to character as well. I loved all of those little moments I mentioned. Like we saw the scars on his back. Then he's asked to put on the red coat. We see the blood on Jamie's hands and the blood on Claire's hands. Like everything tying things together. Like threads through the entire episode. And I do like the the bits of history thrown in. And that we're having, again, like you said, a change to some real conflict, some real external tension that's going to drive the the story further. So I really enjoyed it. I It was my favorite so far. It was great. Yeah. It was it was very thoughtful. And I think you're right, Tip. Like, yeah, I mean, Tony did a great job, as she does. And yeah. she, you can tell she likes, you know, she respects the source material. And mm-hmm. it, I feel like... I could have hated this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Considering well, the topic. I, yeah. I'm and switch. It was great. The cat background off of my phone to Sam Huguenin. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Fraser's Ridge. We hope you enjoyed reliving the episode with us. And if you like us, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And also give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Fraser's Ridge. Bye. Bye, guys. See you later.